Hey guys, welcome back to the eighth episode of Novel Culture. Today, we will be talking to K.K. Huser, the author of the Wolves of Winter Valley series, which is exclusively available on the Dream app, an app full of serialized novellas. Some of the novellas are free, however, the majority of them are paid to read and allow for readers to unlock each chapter using coins that can be earned by using the app or purchased if desired. The Wolves of Winter Valley series is a paranormal romance series that showcases different characters in each book. The first book follows the daughter of the pack Alpha and her journey through becoming the Alpha, learning about a prophecy she had never heard of before, and navigating a relationship with the woman she loves and her potential fated mate. The second book follows Natasha's adopted sister Isabella as she battles a villain from her past and learns about her capacity for bravery and love. The third book, which first chapter was released on May 1st and is still in the early stages with only 15 chapters up so far, follows the Gamma, Adam, and his journey to win the heart of a very skittish human mate. To be warned, this interview does give a lot more spoilers than you would find in my past interviews. However, we did leave out a little bit just to make sure that there are still surprises if you choose to read this book. This episode is slightly longer than the interviews in the past because this was by far the longest interview I've ever conducted. With over three hours of audio to begin with, this episode ended up slightly longer than the others. As always, I conducted this interview via Zoom. So bear with us if there are places where the audio skips a bit. I did my best to cut out as much as possible. However, there are still a couple places where the interview might sound a little choppy. We are going to jump right into this interview, and I hope you enjoy it. The first question I have for you is, um, I don't want to get too deep into your personal life, but if you could tell me a little bit about your life growing up, um, a little bit about your family and how that differs from your family now. I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, um, the oldest of six children. Uh, my mother was a big reader, and she read to us when we were little, uh, mostly, you know, fairy tales. I used to have this great collection of fairy tales, um, a book set, and, you know, it was just beautiful, and I loved it, and I was always had to have a story out of these books. And that carried on with most of us. <laughs> um, it, you know, I, my, I have several of my sisters who are readers. My brother is a reader. But then there, there are a couple who are not. Um, there's, like I said, there's six of us. There's five girls, one boy. And I think wow. there's four of us read and two that don't. We grew up. Oh, goodness. Sometimes we didn't have library. We didn't have library access oh, wow. when we were kids. Um, I mean, we could have, but when you're, you have six small children or five mm -hmm. small children, I gotta be fair. The sixth child was kind of like a surprise when I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, when you have five small children, it, it's hard to get where you need, you know, mm -hmm. and we were, we were, you know, we lived in the urban areas. So public transportation would have been expensive to transport mm -hmm. five children. Uh, we had a local library, but it was still, you know, like several, several blocks away. 
Um, so we didn't go. Uh, we When we got older and went to school, that is what we did. I mean, we, we took books out from the school library um, or mom would buy them special <laughs> for Christmas <laughs> or something like that. Um, but yeah, reading was a big part of our lives because it was an escape. I, I think, and that still applies today. At least it does for me. Writing and reading is an escape for me from reality, from what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. In fact, my mom, my mother, believe it or not, uh, was the one who introduced me to the Harry Potter series. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we, and we got the reading bug, I think, from her mother, too. Her, yeah, that was funny. Me and, me and my grandma, we were sick of seas when it came to books. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a member of the Harlequin Book Club. Okay. And it, when I was a teenager, she would filter out all the naughty ones. <laughs> <laughs> And passed the rest of them to me. And then as I got older, she passed along all of them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she used to bring me boxes of books. Oh, wow. Um, when she would come to visit, not big boxes, but, you know, she'd, like, have a couple months worth gathered <laughs> up in a little, like, box. And she'd bring it to me. Here you go. <laughs> I said, okay, well, this will cover about a week. What you got for next week? And she just laughed. <laughs> she would just laugh. She's like, "You're just terrible." <laughs> and I do. That's that's the way I read. Yeah. If I have new books, yeah, you know, I I don't understand these people. <laughs> like my mom, my mom can read a chapter or could read a chapter at a time, and sit the book down. <laughs> How do you I'm, do that? My mom's the same way. I don't understand it. I uh, inhale books. Like I cannot, I physically cannot put a book down unless I'm exhausted, which is a problem. Right. But, so the next question is about cultures. So what cultures were you exposed to growing up? And was were there a high number of people with different cultural backgrounds in the same area as you were? So as for cultures I was exposed to, well, like I said, we, we were poor when I was little. Mm-hmm. So I, we didn't get to go and participate in a lot. Columbus is a cultural mecca. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have so many festivals okay. um, dedicated to specific cultures. Uh, we have neighborhoods, mm-hmm. kind of like New York. You hear about all that, in, you know, like Chinatown yeah. and stuff like that um, in New York and stuff like that. We have similar neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not personally visited them, <laughs> but, uh, or many of them. I have, I have visited German village a few times, but that is also a historical neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Columbus is a cultural Mecca. You, you can go at any point in the year when COVID is not an issue and yeah. visit, uh, special, you know, we have the jazz and rib fest. We have, uh, the Columbus Metropolitan Museum of Art. They are constantly having events that are focused on individual cultures. You know, African culture, Japanese, mm-hmm. uh, Middle Eastern, you know, whatever. Uh, my, we have the Dublin Irish Festival. We have uh, <laughs> Oktoberfest. We have, you know, there's all kinds of yeah. things. You know, you can always expose yourself to culture mm-hmm. in Columbus. Um, personally, I was exposed to whatever 
was around me in school. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, we were poor. My mom and dad had five kids. So we didn't get to go to those festivals. We didn't get yeah. to go to the museum or and stuff like that. So we weren't really expo- exposed to culture in our family. Okay. When I was young. Um, we're getting there now. Um, we are becoming a more diverse family. But when I was in school, I had, I made friends with a, a girl, an exchange student from Thailand. Um, so, and I got to spend a lot of time with her. I, I don't know any of the language. Uh, she tried mm-hmm. to teach me, but I'm hopeless. Um, <laughs> so, you know, she tried to teach me some of her language. She invited, you know, invited me over for dinner. It was an experience. It was interesting. Okay. Um, I have a very sensitive palate. Oh, all right. And Thai food is notoriously spicy. Yeah. But I was 14. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, an experience then. (laughs) Yeah, I was 14 and nobody told me. Uh, For some reason, the people I meet think this is hilarious. Um. Later on, and we will talk about her more. Um, I had a friend when you know in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. Her name was Lucia, and she was from Mexico. Mm-hmm. She did when she first got we started working together. She didn't really speak very much English, mm-hmm. and um, so in the beginning, she. Uh, we went to we went to lunch together, and I sat down. I had my little, you know, I had my sandwich and my chips, and you know, a lunch, a packed lunch. Uh-huh. And she comes out with this huge picnic basket thing, and she's pulling tub after tub after tub out of this basket, and I'm looking. I was like, "Who the hell are you feeding? You know, <laughs> you feeding the whole shift? What?" So then she, you know, I'm just kind of looking at her funny. And she she reaches across the table and she snatches my lunch <laughs> and shoves it to the end of the table. And I'm like, I was eating that. And she just waves me off and she builds this. She puts all the stuff on a plate and hands it to me. And I went, what is this? <laughs> at that point my exposure to Mexican cuisine was tacos <laughs> okay so yeah I was tacos well she told me when I asked her what it was she says tamale mm-hmm. sound familiar uh-huh. There's a, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay <laughs> so oh, a tamale okay cool this looks interesting. She's, you know, just telling me to eat it without telling mm-hmm. me to eat it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll try anything once. I tried Thai food, for heaven's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I took a little nibble of the masa. And, oh, this is good. I like this. And then I seen this, like, black stuff in the middle of the masa. And I'm like, it's black. What is this? <laughs> And she just motioned, go ahead, you know, eat, eat, eat. So 
in my infinite wisdom, I oh, no. scooped up a forkful, shoved it in my face. Oh, no. Lit me on fire. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was choking. I was sweating. Tears are rolling down my face. And this woman, she's tiny, <laughs> tiny woman, losing it. <laughs> I mean, she literally fell out of her chair. She was oh, laughing no. <laughs> so hard. And I looked at her, and I'm not going to repeat the language. I <laughs> <laughs> and she just kept laughing harder. So while I'm over in my seat crying from the heat, she's crying because she is hysterical to her. She got me. <laughs> Turns out it was a pork, shredded pork in there, made uh, or sauteed, fried, I don't know, but the key ingredient was ghost pepper. Oh, goodness. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that probably would have killed me, too. Oh, ghost peppers are so high. Yeah, and I have, like I said, I have a very sensitive palate. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, I was feeling that for days. Oh, boy. <laughs> but she still, she thought it was hysterical, and then she would tease me for weeks after. She is basically who um, I based Isabella on. Mm. I know she's not from Venezuela, but, you know, she's... She was a good friend, even though I was mad at her about the tamale incident. So the next question is, is there something about your past that really influences the way you choose to write your stories? I, well, yes. My past experiences, mostly. Um, it's how I craft my characters and, and their past histories. I um I draw from my own experiences to um, create relatable characters. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I grew up reading romance novels, uh -huh. you know, or fairy tales. And let's be honest, how real are those books? <laughs> I mean, especially fairy tales. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not realistic at all. No. Um, I mean, the romance novels are getting better. I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. knocking them, but I I'm mean, not knocking them at all. <laughs> but I mean, in the past, they were a lot more fantastical than they are now. I think people are starting right. to like really realistic romances. And I think that's why they're starting to shift into kind of a more like contemporary urban type storyline, as opposed to the pure fairy tale and fantasy that we would get in even the most quote-unquote contemporary right. romances in the past right yeah um my my primary issue now see when it comes to realism i have i have very uh, very particular taste mm -hmm. uh, see i have i have anxiety mm -hmm. so i'm not one of those that goes for um a book that is all drama all the time I can't do it. I actually have had to, I had to cut a book out of a series. 
Oh, wow. Because I couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and I can't discuss it with anybody because it triggers me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, okay, no, I can't do this. It's just too much. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, reading is an escape. Like I said, uh, the real world is a mess. Yeah. It is an absolute mess. And when I read, I read to escape. Mm-hmm. I want a level of fantasy. I, but I also want some realism. I don't want the ridiculousness. Um, that's my, per- you know, it's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> but that is my opinion. I, I mean, I had... I'm I well I'm I'm fairly open about my past. I ha, I do have I mean I had great parents. I had great family. But my life growing up was not a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. It was anything but. I'm not going to get into details. Um I don't hide it. Uh-huh. Because I think that my life lessons might help someone else. Yeah. But I don't, as a general rule, throw it out there. But there is a level of truth, my truth, in every character I create. Let's move on to questions about pop culture. So the first question I have for you is, what kind of books, movies, and TV shows were you drawn to the most when you were growing up? Hmm, well, I kind of, I think I covered part of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I said, books, when I was growing up, it was fairy tales. And, oh, my gosh. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but I totally forgot about them. The Sweet Valley High books. <laughs> uh, there was a whole mess of them. Mm-hmm. Actually, they started out as the Sweet Valley Twins. And then, of course, the clean ones that my grandma let me have. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, movies were basically the same fairy tales uh, I was a big fan of Disney films as I got a little older rom-coms mm. uh, without sex because well we weren't allowed <laughs> <laughs> um, TV shows were typical of the time uh I cho- I was a typical teenager. I chose my TV shows based on who was on them. I mean, fair. That's what a lot of people yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, look, cute guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, in fact, uh, that's how kind of how I started to suspect there was something up with my sexuality because I chose to watch Who's the Boss. <laughs> Okay. For Alyssa Milano. I mean, she's gorgeous. So, I oh mean, hell yeah, she is. She's a lot of the reason I watched Charmed for as long as I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I love Charmed. <laughs> I um, love Charmed. But we, you know, but that was growing up. It was well. To be fair, there was a show that I didn't choose based on an actor, and mm-hmm. it was Alf. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, come on. Um, yeah, I watched Alf because I thought it was funny. Um, and I thought he was so ugly, he was cute. Um, <laughs> but then, and who's the boss? And as I got older, it was, you know, like 21 Jump Street because Johnny Depp, oh my God, yum. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
<laughs> and um, yeah. uh, oh gosh, there was a show called Paradise that I had to watch because of an actor called Matthew Newmark, and then mm-hmm. there was um, the Young Writers because of Greg Raymonter, and nine oh two one zero because well, come on, <laughs> yeah, I mean, where was not the hotness? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and then, of course, Melrose Place, and, and it went on, you know, Friends, and, you know, all that stuff. You know, I was normal, kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, normal teenage girl, yeah, not quite, because I was drawn to both, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it was, oh, hot guy, hot girl, hey, I'm good. You know, it doesn't matter. Um. Yeah. As I've gotten older, I've lost interest in TV. Okay. Um, I do watch a couple of shows. Mm -hmm. I have to specify because I have a friend that reminds, I say I don't watch TV and he he reminds me, yes, you do. (laughs) You watch one show, you still watch TV. (laughs) You Um, don't watch as much TV. Right. I watch um, about maybe two hours of television a week. Okay, so not much at all. Uh, right. Um, well, two and a half. Um, depends on where we are in the season. <laughs> um, because they're all different. All I watch uh, The Curse of Oak Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watch The Mass Singer. I love The Mass Singer. Oh my goodness. Oh, God. yeah. So much. I hate it when they have terrible singers. Though. <laughs> I used to be a singer growing up. Oh, okay. So, I mean... Yeah, I, I 25 years, I think. Mm-hmm. So whenever they have a bad singer on there, I can't watch American Idol, especially in the beginning. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Because it hurts. It yeah. is literally painful. But my <laughs> other show is uh, <laughs> is Young Sheldon. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a good show. It kind of, yeah, I, I was a Big Bang fan. Mm-hmm. Huge Big Bang fan. Yeah. So, you know, I was brokenhearted when they canceled that. Um, and Young Sheldon is my fix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like I said, I, I used to watch a lot of television. I had different shows, like Once Upon a Time was a favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they start in Heroes and stuff, The Gifted, when they start canceling them. Yeah. I just like, I'm not even trying to watch something else. Yeah, it's hard. There are a lot of shows that only get maybe a season or two, and then you just are so sad that they're gone now. So it's it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to wait around and, and start a show when you know there are a lot more seasons of it. You know, I think Leonard had a good, a solid point on Big Bang. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking they had a whole episode about this where Sheldon was losing his mind because they canceled something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a, and left it on a cliffhanger so he's yeah. losing his mind because he wants to know how it ends i remember that um, and he and leonard's like isn't it better for them to end on a high note or cancel oh, yeah. it than to have it lose you know its quality to go downhill yeah i, mean, I that think happens. i'm doing that. i think i'm saying this right but yeah. you know and i can feel that because i felt that way about a couple of my shows i'm not going to name them yeah. specifically because i don't want to send anybody but there was a couple of shows that i was totally in love with i was obsessed by you know i had to watch them every week without fail i planned my life around them 
But as they got on or went on, they started just, it got to the point where I was like, why am I even watching this? But that is, that is how TV has been for me the last few years. It's just, I get hooked on a show and I'll stick with it mm-hmm. until I can't stick with it anymore or it gets canceled and then I just don't replace it. Eventually, I'll get down to where I'm not watching TV at all. Yeah. Because it's just, it doesn't hold my interest. And I kind of found another obsession, so. (laughs) Called books. I've noticed that with me, too. Like, I grew up with a learning disability that made it really hard for me to read. And it took a really long time for me to, like, with therapy and like practice get to a place where I not only felt comfortable reading again, but like really, really enjoyed it. So it's only been maybe uh, five years or so where I've kind of like dove back into reading books a lot. And I've noticed that that's happened to me too. Like the amount of time I spend watching movies and watching TV shows has drastically decreased and the time I spend reading books is just like the majority of my day now. Even when I'm, even when I have work and like school and things like that, I still find time to read every day, even if that means I don't turn on a television. Right. And so I, I definitely feel like. But is that a bad thing, really? No, definitely not. Not at all. Because I mean, the thing too is like you're still getting those stories, but you're more engaged because you're actually reading. Your brain has right. to, your brain has to make the pictures for you rather than being having it right in front of you. So, I exactly, mean, exactly. Reading is definitely better for you than watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely better for your imagination. The last question I'm going to ask on pop culture is just how or does music play any kind of role in your writing? Well, to be fair, it more (laughs) comes into play after. But music has always been a part of my life. So music, I will either attribute a song to a book I've written or a song will have a a, a significant role in the book. So this is where I have the bulk of my questions because I personally absolutely loved this series and had so many questions for you and had to like cut down uh, my questions so that I didn't like overwhelm you. <laughs> All right. So the very first question I have for you is what inspired you to create this particular story? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out how to answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I don't like to dis- to um, offend people, mm-hmm. but um, I have very I am very particular tastes, very particular pet peeves, uh-huh. and um, I got sucked into a book that, and I love this. I love it. I got sucked into a series. I love the series. I'm going to go on record right now and say, I love it. Mm-hmm. I still love it. I still go back and read it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
But there are things within that series that kind of didn't sit well with me. Okay. And or I thought could be better. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all do it. Oh yeah. Even, we all do it. We will watch something or we'll read something and we'll be like, well, no, they should have done this. Yeah, definitely. Or it would, I think it would have been better if they'd have done that. Or that's basically what happened here. <laughs> I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to read a different way. Or I wanted some things to read a different way. So I said, well, you know, the rule of thumb is if you want to read something, write it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I said, let's give it a go. Um, my main, and I know this is your next question. Um, my main issue was the bank bond. Okay. Um, I love the concept of the main bond and that again goes back to my history mm-hmm. um i was 29 when i met my husband mm-hmm. um before him there is a trail like with most of us mm-hmm. um that marry later in life there is a trail of bad relationships um or just more for me it was the lack of (laughs) (laughs) the lack of relationships and the ones that I did have were not good Mm -hmm. um so when I read about the bait bond uh the first thing that came to mind was that's so great god I wish that would have been yeah, a real thing. Because yeah. <laughs> that would have saved me so much time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, and it's, you know, but there was flaws in it. Yeah. To me, <laughs> in my opinion, the mate bond I was reading about was seriously flawed. I'm a great So, you know. I wanted to improve upon it. So when I created, you know, and that led me, like I said, and there's a couple of other things that led me to create the Winter Valley series. But the main bond was Pentacle. Mm-hmm. Or Central. Yeah. I wanted the mate bond to be absolute. Mm-hmm. I think in some of the stories, now I've read several other stories since, that one series and I and the main bond has gotten kind of muddied yeah in a lot of these stories where it's basically why bother mm-hmm. yeah you know there's a reason there is a mate bond yeah there's a reason why whoever created it created it but it's gotten to the point where it doesn't mean anything mm-hmm in some of these stories it's just you know oh a greater connection okay that's all well and good but the mate bond was very very important Mm -hmm. it was it was significant it had a grand meaning and it's 
kind of lost its meaning. Yeah. So when I wrote mine, I made it absolute. Mm-hmm. The mate bond is irrefutable. Yeah. For a wolf, obviously. Yeah. And and it, and it would follow with other species that have that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, humans obviously don't have mate bond. Yeah. And I didn't give them one. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a mate bond. So they're not going to feel the mate bond when they're mated to a wolf. Yeah. But the wolves, you know, they're the central focus. They have the mate bond. Yeah. They feel the mate bond. It's irrefutable. Mm-hmm. This is my mate. And period. End of discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and when they accept their mate, that's it. Yeah. They're bonded for life. You know, their life expectancy increases. They cannot cheat. They cannot feel anything for anyone else. Yeah. Other than friendship. Because I, that's the way I feel it should be. That's yeah. how significant the mate bond should be, in my opinion. Yeah. And I made it that way. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't take away their choices. I mean, as you saw in the first book. Okay. We have, you know. Yeah. The mate bond there. Irrefutable. But before the, it was confirmed. Who, you know, who was mated and who wasn't, you know? Yeah. Um, there is a question before, after Seth and Natasha pretty much figure out that they are mated mm-hmm. and they don't know that they're mated to Harmony as of yet. Yeah. Um, and they're, and they're trying to put together a relationship. Again, this is also before we, you know, learned that you know, Harmony isn't, in fact, completely gay. She's, mm, yeah. you know, bisexual. Um, they're worried about another mate. Mm-hmm. And her finding another mate. So then the, the, they are faced with a choice. Because they don't, you know, they don't know they're going to be mated to Harmony. Yeah. Um, nobody, you know, at this point, nobody has ever had two mates. Yeah. And there's never been a, a, a triple or a triad or anything like that. There's in, in my world, they are the first. Uh-huh. Um, so they really don't know what the hell is going to happen. So they are faced with those choices, mm-hmm. you know, especially harmony. Well, if you find your mate, then what happens? Well, I don't want to lose Natasha. Yeah. So, well, then I have the choice of rejecting my mate or bringing her into the group, you know, if, unless if she doesn't mind being part of the unit. You know, mm-hmm. um, but the mate bond, you know, still remains intact. The integrity of the mate bond, despite the choices, remains intact. You can, they can reject their mate. Yeah. But there is a very, you know, there's, <laughs> it is very strongly discouraged by the fact that whoever is doing the rejecting is guaranteed not to have a second chance mate. Yeah. The only one that has the possibility is the one being rejected. Being rejected, yeah. So, you know, well, yes, they, they, well, and then later in The Wolf and the Witch, Drake is faced with that same choice. Yeah. That he makes. He actually physically makes that choice before he comes back to Winter Valley. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, he, he's made the choice. He, you know, he wants Isabella period end of discussion. Yeah. He doesn't care about any fated mate. You know, <laughs> when he finds her, he's rejecting her. He wants Isabella. That's it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it, while the mate bond is absolute, it is not being forced upon them. My next question really is about the mating bond in particular. In a lot of books and stories, they choose to have the mate bond start at 18. Um, I've read a couple where they have them at 16, but in your story, you have them coming of age for mating and finding their mate at 25. Why did you choose to make it a much older age than what most people write about in their stories? Okay. Now this is where I'm going to make myself very unpopular. (laughs) (laughs) I, again, I have very strong beliefs, very strong opinions. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that 16 and 18 year olds are mature enough Mm. to handle that kind of relationship. Fair. I don't, uh, I also don't believe they're mature enough to be handed the reins of a pack either, mm-hmm. as also happens. In a lot um, of books. In, yeah, in a lot of books at 18, yeah, graduating high school, they take over as alpha, beta, whatever. Um, and they find their mates and they start having babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that, annoys me Mm -hmm. it is a major pet peeve for me 16 i have not read a book where the mating age is 16 and i would put it right down (laughs) yeah i think i'm sorry and that that makes me horrible because my mom had me when she was 17 Mm -hmm. um but that doesn't you know and hey most mad props to my mom you know extenuating circumstances i'm not gonna get into details but she did she did a great job for you know playing the card she was dealt um and this was her thing she she always used to you know tell us when we, you know your education is more important yeah definitely um if you get you know if you get pregnant before you graduate high school this is what's going to happen she my mom was not a coddler her mother didn't coddle her um you know, you will raise your kid, you will pay for your kid, you will hire, you know, childcare, blah, blah, blah. I am not here to make it easy for you. Mm-hmm. You will, these are, if you, if you, these are your choices to make. I'm not going to make them for you. Um, which is great. She got six kids out of high school without going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of us has been arrested and not one of us had a child in, while we were in high school. So I think my mom did a pretty bang up job. At 16 and 18, you have so much life left. Yeah. So much more fun to have. <laughs> and I know they're werewolves. I get that. You know, so I mean, but there's still so much more stuff they could be doing. Mm-hmm. Hell, look at Adam. Yeah. Adam's none of them, but have fun. 
<laughs> that is you know, he had he had kind of had the right mind. Well, kind of not really. I mean, yes, have fun, but don't be crazy about it. Yeah. Um, there is a middle ground. I'm just saying, totally skipped. Right. Um, yeah, he did. He totally went. <laughs> um, gotta love him though. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but no, I'm not, like I said, I don't have any because I would have to look down on my mother. And I would never do that. Um, I'm not looking down on anybody, any, any teenage mother. Um, props to them if they can, you know, raise a family at that young age and, you know, be a success at it. Um, I just don't think it's something that should be encouraged. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely, a lack of word. yeah. I mean, there's a difference between like, accidents happening you know and oh yeah expecting like having a book where we have a 16 year old that's essentially except expected to make all of their life decisions at 16 you right. know what I mean because it's yeah, like see, you, that's wrong that's too much it, it's too much of a decision to make for anybody who's that young and I think that it's a bit I mean I've only I've only seen I want to say like one book and I put it down very very soon after starting it but um yeah, I mean, it just, I read that. I remember reading that. I'm just like, how can you expect someone that young to make these kinds of important decisions? Like, even the books where it's 18, like, which is right. the majority of them, the majority of them, it's like, as soon as they hit 18, they find their fated mate and it's, they, or they have the chance to find their fated mate. It's like, that's a lot of responsibility to put on an 18 year old who's just starting oh, to learn what it is about like to be an adult and so that's one of my I think that's one of my favorite parts about the Winter Valley series is just that they're so much older and so much more mature and they've had this time to grow up and to understand what is expected of them as adults before making these huge life decisions that essentially right. define the way your life is going to go right there is a lot of life expectancy uh life experiences they need to have a lot of growing up, like you said, a lot of um, maturing still that needs to take place. Uh, 25 just seemed like a happy medium for me. Yeah. I know 30-year-olds that aren't that mature, but, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> but I didn't want to make them all old. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like an ideal community, right? We're talking about a tight-knit community that focuses, that is specifically raising their children to be ready to run the community at a specific age and so that changes right. the fact that like yeah some 30 year olds aren't mature but in this situation the ones that are expected to run the community are being taught from a young age exactly how to do that and by 25 should have the life experiences they need to be able to do that right yeah without feeling well hell even natasha actually took the reins at 24 mm -hmm. yeah um because her father died and yeah. there was no one else um so and even she felt overwhelmed yeah i mean she had a, a different she became luna basically at 10 years old mm, yeah um after her mom died of course she didn't have to actually use or she didn't wasn't expected to handle the responsibility she had adam's mom and Seth's mom 
because of yeah. the beta and gamma female, um, mm-hmm. to do that in her stead because she was so young. But she bore the title of Luna from the age of 10 until 24. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and even then, you know, by, she was still not comfortable. I think I, I mentioned that somewhere. Yeah. She really wasn't all that comfortable with her role as Luna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, when it, and she was terrified of assuming the role of Alpha because it meant it was, you know, there was so much more pressure coming. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true of anybody, you know, whether you're trained for it or not. And I think it's the maturity level that helps you to rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think 18, 16 year olds have it. They're just not ready. Mm -hmm. All right. So was there a reason why you chose to have the first book focus on a triad rather than looking at a two person relationship? That is very simple. Very, very, very simple answer. Again, because of this, uh, the series I was reading um, mm-hmm. and several others, I noticed um, the focus of poly relationships was on multiple males, one female. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I raised the question with one author and um, about it. I wasn't the only one. Other people made similar comments. Now, I'm a bisexual woman. Yeah. Um, so this goes to also, you know, being represented. Mm-hmm. Um, bisexuality is not well represented in media. Yeah. Um, it, it never has been, and it's not in books either. Um, so it kind of, it was kind of a bone of contention, if you will, for me to consistently read books about two men, one woman, three men, one woman, four men, one woman, you know what I'm saying? As yeah. a reverse harem. Well, mainly because, um, well, I say that the harem thing, because you you know what a harem is. We all know what a harem is. Yeah. Um, and then, but when there is a harem, there is intimate, an intimate relationship between one man and multiple women. Yeah. But as far as I know, there is no intimate relationship between women. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so that's I, I think the reverse harem follows the same thing. Yeah. Uh, most of the time. Yeah. That's what, at least in my okay. experience, because I read a lot of reverse harem novels and um, the majority of them are one woman, multiple men, and the relationships are with the women, with the woman. But um it is becoming more popular. I've noticed having intimate relationships between the men in the relationship too. Um, even if it's not oh, all that's, of that's, them, it sometimes it's one or two of them, or I mean, two or three of them that are, which I, I love that addition because it feels more realistic that people who are in a relationship with each other, even if it's, you know, one that are spending that much time together are bound to form some kind of relationship, even if it's not sexual. Right. Well, and that was um, that was my the reason behind uh, having the triad mm-hmm. because 
this was missing in in almost in almost all of the other books that I read. Yeah, it was always man, you know, multiple men and one woman. Um, and I had I don't think I read where there was any le- lesbian relationship. I haven't. I don't mm-hmm. believe I have read anything with a lesbian relationship. And I, the one book that I stopped reading that I cut out of the series because I couldn't handle it, that there was some uh, intimate relations between two women and a man, but that's all it was. It was just like uh-huh. a single instance tryst. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't a relationship, which. I felt we needed in this genre. I felt that the bisexual community needed and the poly yeah. uh, community needed this type of relationship represented. Two-person relationships, you can pick up just about any Everything. book, anywhere, you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you're not going to find a poly relationship like Natasha Harmony and Seth mm-hmm. yeah. um, as commonly. Mm-hmm. Um, hell, you, I mean, you find the two men, one woman more commonly than you do yeah. two women, one man. Yeah. And, and it was important to me that it be an actual three-way relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not just Seth having two women or two mates. It's not just Natasha having two mates. They all have two mates. Mm-hmm. They're all mated together. It is a three-way relationship. Um, and I and I thought it was important to have to bring that out into the open and to have that representation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Um, So I was representing myself, kind of. (laughs) Fair. That is totally fair. Um, Why did you decide to have Harmony and Natasha start the story um, already in a relationship rather than have them build a relationship together all at once? Okay. See, that that was... um, See, I cover... I, I, I tackle a lot of what I deem... Oh gosh, injustices. Okay. Um, and I'm seeing more of it. I didn't see it before because I'll be honest, I am I I am bisexual, but I'm not. Um, I'm I'm married. I have a mm-hmm. husband. I I have never I have yet to go to pride. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> then COVID hit. So the first time I I couldn't go. I can't remember why. I had surgery the second time, and then COVID hit. <laughs> Like, so I haven't been to Pride. Um, I have had relationships with, I've never had, um, I have not had a, a lot of experience exploring that side of myself. And I wasn't aware, because I haven't explored, I wasn't aware of the trials that most uh, face, mm-hmm. most who are open yeah. um, and out and public about their sexuality. Um, One of the issues I wanted to cover, and I discussed this in my support group, was bi-erasure. 
it, 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 it is a real thing and it happens on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to cover that in this book. And in order to do that, I needed a storyline that would lead into it. Mm-hmm. So Harmony and Natasha started off in the relationship facing the possible dissolution of the relationship because of the mate bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Seth wasn't built. You know, I didn't. And Harmony had to be completely gay. Mm-hmm. The the curse had to happen. Mm-hmm. The curse storyline with Harmony um, being cursed into believing that she was a lesbian um, is symbolic. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was cursed by a man, a straight man. She was cursed to to never feel for another man. Mm -hmm. Um, So he basically, you know, in a way that he was erasing her sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, while he thought he was, he was erasing her desire for, you know, he thought he was just going to make her alone for the rest of her life. Yeah. Um, he didn't know about her bisexuality. So he only relate, you know, he erased half of who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's why it was important because I wanted to, and then of course there's the conversation with, um, Seth when, when Natasha admits that she thinks that Seth is her, uh, is her mate, you know, when they're leading into that conversation and she tells him, you know, she kind of lets it out that it's a man Mm -hmm. and Seth is like, wait a minute, a man, (laughs) you know, he's like, cause he thought she was gay. So, I mean, I used Harmony and Natasha's relationship, Harmony's curse, and the addition of Seth to kind of expose and address by erasure Mm -hmm. common misconceptions about um, bisexual. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is common for people to assume another person's sexuality by who they're with at the time. Yeah. Seth assumed Natasha was gay because she was with harm, but mm-hmm. she's bisexual. If he had asked her or maybe stayed in closer contact with her, you know, he would have known that, mm-hmm. but he made the assumption and everybody makes that assumption. Nobody thinks, oh, well, maybe, you know, whatever. And if you tell someone you're bisexual, you know, depending on who you talk to, they'll either call you a liar or question you. Yeah. You know, um, I've I've had, I've been questioned myself. Mm -hmm. I've been called a pervert. You know, I'm not bisexual. I'm just pervert. Really? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of this still going on, and I wanted to address it. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought that this dynamic was the best way to do that. Because mm-hmm. I was representing who I was with Harmony and Natasha. Mm-hmm. And I was addressing, but I was addressing issues that more affected others like me. Because I have not experienced biracial, really. I said, oh, like, I have experienced questions and I've been called a pervert, but I've never had someone tell me that I was just confused mm-hmm. or that, you know, I'm just gay pretending to be straight or I'm straight pretending to be oh. gay. Depends on who you talk to. I mean, this, these, this is real, a real problem. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to bring that out into the open and say, you know what? This is the truth. Mm-hmm. this is happening and it shouldn't be. And this is the truth about bisexual people. Because I believe, um, if I remember correctly, gosh, I wrote the book and I can't remember. Natasha tells that, that as educated as humans are about sexuality, they still cannot grasp the concept that you can be attracted to more than one gender. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it was important. Um and it also builds up to the um whole acceptance thing. Mhm. It it starts it off well cuz you yeah. you have um first of all you have a lesbian relationship to start with, then you have the bisexual aspect of the relationship when you add incest. Mhm. <clears throat> so and and of course we talk about how accepting uh, Natasha's father was yeah of her sexuality of Harmony's sexuality we talk about how accepting Harmony's parents are so that goes into a lead-in you know like kind of lets the reader know that if you continue with this series you're going to see more of this yeah definitely um that's actually a great segue into my next question which is focusing on acceptance in your storylines um, this question is definitely a massive spoiler, but in a lot of Faded Mate stories, when a werewolf meets a human mate, at some point in the story, the human gets turned into a werewolf as well. Um, it, but specifically in The Wolf and the Witch, you make the point to have them decide that they don't want or need to do that. Why did you make this choice and why was it so important for them to discuss and have this choice? Okay. Um, this is another one of my pet peeves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, like you said, like you said, right at the beginning of the question, it focuses on acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think unless there's extenuating circumstances, the changing of a human to a wolf or any species, any mm-hmm. supernatural species, sends the wrong message. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, to put it in, in, in as simple terms as possible, if you have, you know, you meet and you fall in love with somebody, say you have a few extra pounds on your whatever, and you're boyfriend girlfriend whatever says you know i really love you and i want to spend the rest of my life with you but i can't unless you lose 50 pounds uh-huh you gonna change for that person 
you're going to lose 50 pounds just so they'll marry you? Yeah. Or so, you know, they'll mark you? No. You are, ba- you, you should not have to change yourself mm-hmm. to be with someone who loves you. And while, you know, 50 pounds seems like nothing, you know, to some people, <laughs> I'm a big woman. So 50 pounds is like, Oh my God. Um, like a, a monster feet. Um, mm-hmm. but we're talking, we're not talking about losing weight. We're not talking about losing 50 pounds. We're talking about changing our DNA. Yeah. I mean, changing who, yeah. what makes, you know, changing your species. You are changing everything about you. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are turned into a wolf to be with someone who supposedly loves you regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So again, that falls to the mate bond. The mate bond, it was described in one book. Guy, guy said his wife, his wife suffered some kind of accident or whatever, but she was disfigured in some way. But she looked perfect to him. Mm-hmm. So, okay, if that is what the mate bond does, why does a human need to turn to a wolf? Yeah. So, uh, you know, with the, with the question of uh, Isabella wanted to. She wanted to be turned because of the mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she she was upset because she could not mark Drake. Yeah. Um, and so she wanted him to turn her so that she could because she, you know, he's an alpha wolf. Okay. She had legitimate concerns. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can agree she had legitimate concerns. An, <laughs> yeah, un- an unmarked an unmarked alpha male um, is kind of like waving a red flag in front of a bull. <laughs> yeah. Um, when it comes to she-wolves who want to improve their station in life. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not an actual alpha. He just has alpha blood, which does exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, not exactly. Obviously, he's, he's you know their offspring's not going to be passed the alpha medallion, but you know they have the alpha blood mm-hmm. or the special blood. Um, so she had legitimate concerns, but it was not a legitimate reason to be turned. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I just, I just can justify. I cannot justify changing yourself in that, that significantly mm-hmm. to be really, with somebody. Yeah, I personally really enjoyed that portion of the story because I understood her concerns and why she really wanted to do it. But like, I really appreciated not letting it happen because I, I totally agree. That is one of my pet peeves in a lot of these books. Is like. The whole idea of Fated Mates is that you guys are created for each other, but then the women most of the time are the ones expected to essentially change their entire identity and their entire lives to be with their mate. And it just seems right. it, it just seems wrong in something that is supposed to be so beautiful to like essentially force the person to change themselves so much so that's what that's actually one of my favorite parts of your books is the fact that that isn't even a question 
And that it's so focused yeah. on acceptance. That will never happen, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. To know. I, it is such. <laughs> it is such a um, a, a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I am on board with the changing is when it's a life issue. Yeah. If it is a life or death issue, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. If that's going to save them, you want to do it. It's okay. Fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I think it's happened in a couple of books where the changing has been required to save a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that, that to me is perfectly acceptable, but to just be with your mate is just mm-hmm. not acceptable to me. It sends a, a very bad message. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next question that I have for you is, the overarching story that we have that still has yet to be addressed really uh, talks about this coming power. We as readers know pretty much nothing about this. Why is it so, (laughs) why is it so important to have this particular storyline span all the books in the series rather than have it be the focus in only the first book when you first introduce the power of the triad? When you have a series, you need to have something that connects all the books. Yeah, definitely. Um, In this case, in the first book, I have basically decimated the pack. Mm -hmm. I've cut their numbers down to um, almost in half Uh um, because of the rogue attack. Um, So they have to rebuild, literally. they have to rebuild their pack and most werewolves are born into packs Mm -hmm. yeah so they have to draw to increase their numbers they have to they have two choices they can become aggressors and start wars with other packs to absorb them can't now Xander (laughs) 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 or they can draw from those who don't feel like they belong Mm -hmm. in their own communities, in their packs, in their kingdoms. So um, the reason for the overarching story is to have a reason to draw these characters to the pack. Okay. Um, well, that's how we got Sinead. Mm-hmm. Sinead was a visiting warrior who found her place among wolves. She's an elf. Mm-hmm. Um, but she found, she found her place there in Winter Valley. Mm-hmm. So she joined the pack. Um, and, and we're going to see that more more characters are going to be bleeding in um, because of this threat. Okay. And the threat is the reason for that. A lot of the first book, there is this large focus on the old school werewolf customs and that some of the men in power thinking that a woman shouldn't run a pack, even one who has been trained for it her entire life. Why was this so important to the story? And will we continue to see this 
dynamic throughout the rest of the series. Okay. Well, it it is, again, another one of my pet peeves is the patriarchal nonsense. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these books, you have these really aggressive, dominant, possessive men um, that are, you know, just brutal, you know, even with the women. And women are regarded as basically arm candy. Um, and what, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, in the, in the series that I love so much, uh, the women are kind of pushed aside and kept in the dark when they're all very gifted. You know, they have powers or strengths that can be used and, and, and they're just overlooked because they're women. And I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't generally hate things but that just irritates me to no end (laughs) and so in my series this was my way of obliterating it Mm -hmm. yeah uh attacking it head on uh you know you see it in um in the in the elders and a couple of the elders Mm-hmm. Um, you see it in Kent and Alexander. He, I mean, hell, his his chauvinism goes all the way to the moon goddess. He doesn't think there should be a moon goddess, <laughs> mm-hmm. or the, the moon goddess is incapable of doing what she's supposed to be doing. You know, I wanted to attack chauvinism and that type of mentality. Um, and I am a big fan, obviously, of strong women characters mm-hmm. and equality. You while what you'll see, you know, we we did the most of the attacking in the first two books, but see the most of it, or was heavily it was heavily concentrated in the first book, as you said. Yeah. Um, not quite so much in the second. Mm-hmm. But what you're going to see is the evolution mm-hmm. from that archaic mindset to a more open-minded accepting you know equal balance so one of my favorite things about this book is how diverse the characters are you start with the triad relationship and then move to the wolf and the witch which is a story about a two people who have this history between them uh and now you're moving on to something that's a little bit seems like it's going to be a little bit closer to what most of these classic faded mate stories are where a wolf smells as human and has to win her over um why is it so important to make these stories so incredibly different from each other and how did you decide this was where the story was going i actually didn't decide (laughs) (laughs) fair Natasha Harmony and Seth, that was decided. Yeah. Drake and Isabella just happened. <laughs> there, yeah, there's no, really no other way to put that. Um, <laughs> the, I, again, I had no plans for Drake. Okay. At all. I had mm-hmm. no idea where he came from when I started writing his first scene. I was like, or when he was mentioned, <laughs> I'm like, you know, so I'm writing it, and it's Stacia, I think, uh, the aunt, uh-huh. who mentions him first. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well, Drake will be here in a couple of days. Well, who the hell's Drake? 
Where did that come from? You know, like, you know, I got to come come up with this whole other character, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, boy. So then, you know, of course, yeah, but it just fly by. I'm not even kidding. It's fly by the seat of my pants almost all the time. Uh, No, all the time. Not almost. All the time. I'm flying by the seat of my pants here. I go where the story takes me. Mm -hmm. Um, I also didn't plan for... Drake and Isabella for there to be anything between them it wasn't mm-hmm. planned it, when he showed up and then Isabella came to join the party Isabella was actually an afterthought <laughs> as, I, as I was writing that scene I was like wait a minute Isabella should be here she's a witch so I r- wrote her in to that scene and it just developed you know that connection with Drake Mm -hmm. and I'm like okay well we can't have them just one of one of my other things that kind of irritates me is relationships that form and divert the focus too much from the original you know from the protagonist you don't want to you know divert them too much but you know let's be honest even without them getting together they still were scene stealing little sneakers mm-hmm. they did they stole some things <laughs> because that's all I heard you know whenever you know I threw them in there just almost for like comedic value yeah for you know and, and for character development a little bit so they could see more of Isabella's personality because uh-huh. you know I could tell you all day long that she's a firecracker but you don't see it you don't see it a whole lot in the first book you see mm-hmm. it with Harmony yeah. And and when you know after the um after the departing while she's strengthening the borders. You yeah. know, you see some of her personality then but she's so absent for much of the book. So I wanted to give her a little more time. So this um relationship thing or this dynamic with Drake just kind of developed on its own. <laughs> and I started getting messages. <laughs> and comments oh are drake and izzy been mates or are you are you gonna write about drake and izzy or no like and i'm like oh my goodness (laughs) what have i done (laughs) so um the you know the reader spoke yeah they wanted they wanted more drake and izzy tell me about writing isabella you have a character who grew up in Venezuela, but then moves to Winter Valley. Um, what were some of the challenges to writing a character who's who English is her second language and is so different from the other characters in your story? Um, well, uh, as I, I'm, I mentioned before, she mm-hmm. is, is based on a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made crafting her easy because I had a living example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the challenges that came with writing her was more internalized. Okay. Uh, because, because I, I knew Lucia. Mm-hmm. I spoke with Lucia. Um, you know, I had experience with her. No one else does. Yeah. So, you know, the challenge is, how do I make this character authentic 
to the to the woman I knew mm-hmm. without offending people I don't. Yeah. Um, and I did have an incident where one woman uh, didn't understand. And it was even before she got to the second book. Uh, she didn't understand why Isabella spoke the way she did. And it, and, mm-hmm. and as a, a, a Latina, it upset her, mm-hmm. which I understand. And it broke my heart to hear that. Uh, last thing I want to do is to offend or hurt anybody. Yeah. So it and it was never my intention. And I tr- and and you can how, how do I put it? I went a little too easy on Isabella's speech pattern in the first book because I was so afraid of offending people. Yeah. But in the first book, that is not how Lucia spoke. That was the way too advanced or or too I cleaned it up too well. Mm-hmm. Um, I did leave some of the brokenness, but it was not as prominent as in the second book. Mm-hmm. Um, before I started the second book, I went onto my author page and I posed the question to or uh, to my readers, fans, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> I love them all. I do. They are so great. I love hearing their feedback. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I, I posed the question to them on how I should approach the second book mm-hmm. because I was scared to death. I was so, I was disappointed in the way that I wrote Isabella in the first book mm-hmm. because when I read and I have re- read and reread all of them, all of the books I've written, I've read and reread them at least three times a piece, maybe more. I was very disappointed in the way that Isabella came out mm-hmm. in the first book because I, when I read it, I didn't see Lucia. Mm. Okay. I wasn't hearing, I wasn't hearing Lucia's voice in my head when I read Isabella's dialogue and um, it didn't feel right to me. Okay. So I went and I asked, how should I do this? Should, you know, you know, her broken English, you know, she is very, very broken, her English. Um, Would you be offended reading dialogue like that? Should her internal monologue be like that? I never asked Lucy, how, how do you think? Do you think in English or Spanish? I've never asked that question before. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think to ask that question. When they they gave me their opinions and they no, when we you know, if 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 Spanish is her first language, she's going to be thinking in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be they're gonna be proper sentences. Yeah. So um when I wrote book two and then they were totally on board with the authenticity of Isabella. And her speech pattern. Um, you know, so I felt more confident being true to the character mm-hmm. because of their opinions. Um, but it was a challenge to do that because, and it's still a challenge. 
It, it yeah. still worries me that I'm going to log into Dream and find out I have a comment and it have somebody ripping me end from end because of Isabella's speech pattern. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, it's, it was a difficult choice. I either stay true to the character or I stay true to the politically correct way of doing things and just have her speak like everyone else. I, I think I did okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did okay with it. I'm still worried. I'm I'm always worried that I'm going to upset somebody. But you know, I I think the, like the first woman who was upset by the way that Isabella spoke, I explained it to her. Mm-hmm. That Isabella is actually a real person. Yeah. Um, or modeled from a real person, and um, I wanted her to be reflected honestly mm-hmm. and authentically. So, the Gamma's Reluctant Meat is coming out on May 1st. Yes. What can you tell me about the story? From the synopsis, I can tell that the female character is a lot different from the ones that we've seen so far. She has purple hair, she has tattoos and piercings, she's overweight, and she's human. What inspired you to make her different in this way? And why is her being so different from the other characters we've seen and from the women that Adam normally goes for so important to the storyline? Okay. This is, um, this is my favorite question. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, well, you know, because I used Natasha's harmony to represent me. Mm-hmm. As a bisexual woman, Megan represents me as a heavy set woman. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in literature and uh, books, romance novels, pretty much in anything, movies, TV, um, the majority of the leading romantic or the romantic leads in these stories are Barbie Dolphin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're beautiful. They're perfect. They're, you know, they're everything. Mm-hmm. And um, while there are beautiful and perfect and, you know, well, not really perfect. Nobody's perfect, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, there are real people that fit this description. Yeah. They are not the majority. Mm-hmm. The majority of the human race is not Barbie Dawson. Mm-hmm. They're not blonde, blue-eyed, perfect complexion. Yeah. They're none of that. I'm not that. And those non, the majority of our population is not represented in media. Yeah. Just like bisexuals are not represented in media, um, transgender uh, individuals are not represented in media. The same is true for the average, the average human. Mm-hmm. Um, we're flawed. Yeah. Some of us are fat. You know, yeah. some of us, some of us are, are too thin. You know, um, <laughs> it's we're different we and we're not those 
perfect people that the, yeah, and I get the books are supposed to be fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I want to read about fantasies about me, people yeah. like me. In, and in Lily Gamma's Reluctant Mate, that's kind of what we have. We have, um, I have a piercing. I have a tattoo. I will have another eventually. But a lot, my husband has tattoos. You know, I have friends that have tattoos. I think my one friend has like nine. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. The majority of people you run into are going to have these characteristics. Maybe not all at the same time. But they deserve representation, too. Mm -hmm. And um, so in in the Gamma's Reluctant Mate, Megan kind of takes on that role. Mm -hmm. She represents the, the fat girl that never wins yeah you know she's she's the the high school uh, the girl in high school that people ignored you know that kind of mm-hmm. person you know um and, th- and in this story she gets her happy ending she gets the what they call she gets the fantasy basically <laughs> Um, because Adam is the fantasy. Mm-hmm. He's ginormous. He's six foot eight. Oh dear God! He's muscular. <laughs> oh yeah! All my I... all my guys are. Yeah, I all my guys. How are... big he was? <laughs> yeah, Drake is six nine. Yeah, I've um, got so <laughs> and yeah, and Philip uh, Harmony's dad is almost seven foot. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's like six eleven or something, but all of my guys are huge mm-hmm. because they're wolves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mean, know, it's fair, right? They had to. Yeah, even the even the women are fairly large. Natasha's five nine. Mm-hmm. I think Stacy is six foot. Um, mm-hmm. They're fairly large. Harmony is a little short, but then her mom is from Louisiana, so she's real little. <laughs> yeah, so she kind of got the short end. Yeah, she kind of got caught in the middle right there, five, six or so. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so Adam is like six eight. He's very muscular, very well built. And he's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those guys that if you saw him with me, <laughs> you would go, what the hell does he see? <laughs> <laughs> so you know because like oh my god you know this this is kind of like the opposite to the aging rock star with the supermodel girlfriend yeah you see what i'm saying Mm -hmm. only megan is not old (laughs) (laughs) megan is not old she's actually younger than him but uh i want to you know and i and i heard from other people they wanted to read a book featuring a female character like them mm-hmm. yeah i am a big woman yeah so when you read about megan you're going to see there is no bias mm-hmm. you will identify if if you are a heavy set person uh, um you will identify with her mm-hmm. i identify with her Megan is my favorite character. 
I'm super excited about Megan. Uh, I love Adam, but I'm really excited about her because I do really, really identify with her because I am, you know, a heavy set person and I always have my hair dyed and I have tattoos and I have piercings. And so she just really like speaks to me because she's so much like who I am so far that I'm really excited to see Mm -hmm. where this character goes. And I feel like I can connect with her a lot easier than I do with most of the heroines and most of the books that I read. Yeah. So I, um, Oh, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this. (laughs) (laughs) I have only told one other person this. Megan is my favorite character because I put more of myself in her. When I say that I put more of myself into her, I mean in her personality, mm-hmm. in her life experiences, in, okay. um, in the way she thinks, in the way she speaks. Um, I drew a lot of that from me. I connect with Megan way more than any other character. If anyone who knows me well enough will be able to pick me out of the story. That's how deeply infested I am in it. (laughs) That's why it's taking so long, why I delayed the release. Uh Because I wanna get it right, because it's so personal. I'm super excited. (laughs) I just, I feel like she's already such a great character and I already connect to her so well. And I feel like if so much of you is in this character, that all of the readers are going to be able to connect to her so much more than we connect to any other characters. I hope so. I really do. I do need to point out, um, there will be a warning, a trigger warning on this book. Okay. Um, well, I don't know. I know I gave you, uh, gave everybody a sneak peek with chapter one. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of get a glimpse, a small glimpse of Bonnie there. Yeah. Bonnie is a lot worse than she's depicted in that first chapter. So, you know, I have to put a trigger warning for those who are sensitive to that kind of situation. Okay. Well, good to know. Um, The last question I have for you about these books in particular is, do you think that we will get more LGBT characters or couples showing up in the future? Hmm. In this, oh, I'm still, this, okay, that's the intention. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I know you're only see, on book okay. three, but, you know. Right. Well, <laughs> you see, I kind of, again, we took another twist. Uh-huh. I did not plan for Isabella to be a quad. <laughs> <laughs> that was never my intention either. That just, well, kind of threw that in there. I was like, okay, where did that come from? Uh, my brain, I don't, and sometimes I wonder, <laughs> this stuff, this just, this stuff just pours out and it's just like, okay, why? So, okay. Initially this is this book series. Um, 
It was supposed to be a six book series. Okay. I'm still not at this point. I'm still in the thinking phase. I've got three more books to make a decision. So, <laughs> so you know, like I said, I planned for six books. That was the plan. That's the, as far as a plan as I had was that there uh-huh. was going to be six books. Mm-hmm. Well, then Isabel happened. <laughs> And Isabel decided she wanted to be one of four instead mm-hmm. of just one. Yeah. Um, which I think added a great deal to her story. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in body count. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But it did add a, another level of depth to her yeah. character and her story. Um, and it also kind of makes it a little more fun. But also, <laughs> it's created a, a conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> because... With the addition of her brothers, yeah, I now have seven major characters or, or character sets. Uh, <laughs> because um, with with the or the brothers are gay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So and and of course they're they're going to be integral. They've moved in. Yeah. To the valley, they live there. They're part of the pack. They're part of the family. So naturally, you want to know what's going to happen with these two men. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to get to know them better. They're part of Isabella. You know, oh, please. Everybody loves Isabella. Uh, <laughs> yes, we do. So, uh, you know, everybody loves Isabella. They, you know, and Joe. Joe seems to have caught on really quickly, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got... Daniel and Evan, they haven't seen a lot of, you haven't seen them a lot mm-hmm. yet in anything. Um, but it's a lead in to a, you know, gay couple. Um, unfortunately, I seem like uh, I need another book. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and seven is a weird number. <laughs> so do I add two more books and then dig up another character? Or do I just take Joe, Daniel, and Evan and give them like a, a separate trilogy? Mm-hmm. Um, or create a spinoff series to publish somewhere else? Because I think... The Wolves of Winter Valley is going to, I'm going to finish it on Dream, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> if they, I, I'm, I'm very anal about that. I want all of my series in one place. Fair enough. I don't, I don't want to break it up. I, I just, I can't stand that. Yeah. I don't like, I, I wouldn't like to have to hunt up a whole series. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to make other people do it. Yeah. Um, so at this at this juncture, I do want to have more LGBT characters. You know, I want the huh, what was it? Demi Lovato called it um, the Alphabet Mafia or something like that. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I want I want them to have a more prominent role in the series. But I have you know I have some decisions to make. Do I extend the series? Or do I make a spinoff series? I have not decided. 
I have a lot of thinking to do, a lot of pros and cons away, but it is my intention to have more LGBT characters in the series and in future works. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. I know this interview took yeah. um, a whole lot longer than we were planning. <laughs> yeah, that's my fault because that's what I do when I'm anxious. I'm sorry I should have warned no, you. It's, it's totally fine. Well, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to read the series we discussed today, The Wolves of Winter Valley series by K.K. Huser, start with book one, Lady Alpha, exclusively available on the Dream app. Dream is spelt D-R-E-A-M-E. The Tumblr page, which I normally post supplementary materials on, is no longer active. Everything has been moved to my official website, NovelCulturePodcast.com. All extra articles relating to this episode and all prior episodes are up in the blog section of the website. I would love to hear from you. Leave a comment about what you liked, what you disliked, what I got wrong, or just to send me some love. I would also love to hear suggestions for future episodes. Season 3 will be filled with listener-suggested books. We are also on Instagram at Novel Culture Podcast and Twitter at Novel Culture Pod. I also have an official Facebook page under Desiree Rose where I also post updates about episodes and materials that go up on my website. Just search for Desiree Rose Author. There is also a group available on Facebook called Novel Culture Discussion Group, set up for anyone that wants to discuss the episodes. If you are listening on a platform that supports reviews and liked the show, please leave us a review. This makes it easier for others to find the podcast and start listening. I hope you join us next time for a very special episode discussing The Ruthless Underworld, created by K.L. Savage.